as far as we know, we've got this one life to live and what do you got to lose? If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work, I want to do my life's work, this is the show. This is the show, Don't Keep Your Day Job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Life is too short not to wake up every day excited. You've got something that you've got to share with the world. I'm positive. That's why you're here. The show will not just give you inspiration, but some real life tools that you can start to take some real action week after week so that you can not just go to work and build someone else's dream. You can do the thing that you've always truly wanted to do. Make yourself the happiest version of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks to BioClarity for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get started on healthier habits with your skincare. Just go to bioclarity.com and get 15% off your entire first purchase. Plus shipping is free when you buy a routine. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee, but you need to enter my code DREAMJOB. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Skillshare is offering Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners a limited time offer of two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob to get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. Thanks to Robinhood for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Robinhood is giving my listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can sign up now at dreamjob.robinhood.com. That's dreamjob.robinhood.com. Thanks to Ring for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. You guys got to go get this. Just go to ring.com slash dreamjob. That's ring.com slash dream job. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here every time you listen, but I'm particularly glad you're here today for two reasons. One, this episode is so important and it was one of my most favorite interviews. I think you are going to see why. And it's extremely uplifting, encouraging to hear someone who's been through some of the biggest losses that a person can ever face and to hear how that person persevered and turned those very, very painful, seemingly impossible things into beauty and helping other people to feel alive and inspired. His name is Josh Spencer, and I'm really happy you're here to hear that. The second reason I'm happy you're here is because this Thursday is Thanksgiving, and I want to tell you a couple things. I want to tell you that I am so thankful for every single one of you. You make me feel seen. You make me feel like I matter. You make me feel like I'm playing an important role in your life and in the world, and there's no greater gift you can give to another person, and I want you to know that you've changed my life. And the gift that you've given me to let me be there for you, to let me encourage you, to make me feel like I'm doing a good job at it. It's been such an incredible journey over these last 22 months doing this show. So it wouldn't be possible without you. And I'm really appreciative that you're having the courage to keep going and to take risks and to stop apologizing and to get messy. So I want to applaud you and tell you how thankful I am Because seeing you guys in action, doing what it is that you love doing makes me feel more inspired and reinvigorated every day to keep building this community and doing the show. 
So I want to thank you for that. All right. Well, there's so much in this episode. I don't want to take any more time. I just want to tell you guys that I love you. If you want to connect more, come follow me on Instagram. I respond to every DM and answer most of the comments and respond. You can follow me at kathy.heller. Also, we're going to start doing some cheat sheets at the end of these episodes to give you some questions that you can think about what you've been listening to and maybe integrate that and ask yourself the next thing to take these ideas and sort of bring them to light. So you can find that cheat sheet for this episode in the show notes. And I'll tell you more about that as the episode rolls on. Okay. I want to talk to you about the magnificent Josh Spencer, who's uh, here today to talk to us about his journey. He created The Last Bookstore. It's California's largest used and new bookstore and record store and one of the most successful independent bookstores in the world. That's amazing considering all of the bookstores are closing all around us and the record stores already closed all around us years ago and Josh is really marching to the beat of his own drum. What's amazing about it is that it's more than just a bookstore. It's definitely a place to hang out and enjoy a book, but it's also like a museum. It's like this art exhibit. It's also a music venue. And on occasion, people have actually gotten married there. It is beautiful. In addition to over 250,000 new and used books, they have tens of thousands of vinyl records, graphic novels. There's a labyrinth and different gallery shops. So if you're coming out west, you have to check it out. You can find it at the Spring Arts Tower at Fifth and Spring in downtown Los Angeles. But what's really epic is Josh. Josh is really the star of this whole thing. He has one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. And simply put, he's really not a human being. He's like a super person. He's like a superhuman. Um, When you hear his story about what he's gone through and how he looks at things and what his perspective is on how he's gotten through these challenges, I think you're going to be speechless. Okay, before we dive in, let's thank one of our sponsors. Thanks to BioClarity for supporting our podcast. Your face is often your first impression and shows off everything it takes in, so feed it well. Treat it with products like BioClarity. It's 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. My skin has been so dry lately and the weather has not been helping at all, so it's really nice that BioClarity has the types of products that make my skin feel rehydrated and super soft. I love using their Skin Smoothie Moisturizer. It's packed with botanicals and good-for-you ingredients, and it's really great because it's light, so you don't feel like you're wearing pounds of greasy product. Grow your glow with one of BioClarity's powerful plant-based products. The Clear Skin Routine is great for oily or breakout prone skin. You should also try out their amazing new face masks like the hydrating mask, which is basically like getting a facial in a flash. They also have new products for your whole body like the Beauty Boost Beauty Supplement packed with vitamins and nutrients for great skin from the inside out. Get started on healthier habits with your skincare. Just go to bioclarity.com. My listeners will get 15% off their entire first purchase plus shipping is free when you buy a routine and it comes with a 100% risk-free money back guarantee, but you have to enter my code DREAMJOB. That's bioclarity.com and enter my code DREAMJOB. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the phenomenal Josh Spencer. Hey, Josh, I'm so glad that you're here. Glad to be here. Thanks. This is like really, really exciting. I've known about The Last Bookstore for a while because I live in LA and people talk about it. People have gotten married there. It's really not just a bookstore. It's really become it's sort of like a museum. It's like an art piece. It's an experience. It's a home away from home for people. That in of itself is really amazing. But then your whole story is truly incredible. And I watched this beautiful film that The Atlantic made about you. And you're just such a special person. So I'm happy that you're here. And uh, 
why don't you tell us a little bit about your story for people who don't know sort of how you got to be where you are right now? It's a long story, but I'll try to shorten it. Um, I guess about 22 years ago, uh, when I was 21, I was uh, hit by a car while I was riding a moped, so I became a paraplegic. That's sort of the start of uh, of my adult story. Hmm. I floundered for years. You know, it took a decade to sort of figure out oh my God. who That's I crazy. was and and how I could, uh, you know, still be in this world in a, in a fulfilling way. And then, you know, eventually I got into book selling. You know, I did it online for a while, for many years, and then gradually opened up a small store uh, about 11 years ago. And then about nine, 10 years ago, we opened up a larger store uh, called The Last Bookstore. And it uh, it really did take on a life of its own and, and become something much bigger than I ever imagined. But that's kind of where I'm at today is, uh, is trying to come to grips uh, <laughs> as the owner of this store that's known around the world and, and is so much bigger than I ever dreamed. So I mean, I'm just sort of amazed at how you just really simply like share that journey and that a person who could go through something so, so life altering and so defeating Mm -hmm. could then move through that and create something. The fact that you did all of that, I want to sort of unpack that because Mm -hmm. it's like Herculean you were given such a challenge and you're making music out of something that is horrific, right? And yet you've turned this into something that's poetic and beautiful and mm-hmm. you're thriving on a level where most people never do. Mm-hmm. And you've been through so much already and you're not even that old, like you're a young person. How did you get through that? What was the mindset shift? Because I can't even imagine a day of it. Well, I mean, it was, you know, as with anything like that, it, it's a complete shock to the system. Um, you know, I, I grew up, I was very athletic at the time, uh, and I lifted weights a lot, and I surfed, and I played volleyball, I hiked. I, I was just, you know, uh, physicality was very was a wow. very big, big part of my identity, and those things can be difficult and you have to train your mind to push through the pain basically and to, you know, continue to grow and get better at those things. So I already had that kind of mindset where, you know, physical challenges I was, I was used to. So I think that was helpful immediately. As soon as, you know, I got injured, it was, it was simultaneously a huge blow because all that physicality was in a way taken away from me. But at the same time, you know, the mental muscles that I had, that I had built up to squat 300 pounds or whatever were still there. And so I was still able to see that as a challenge, you know, as a physical challenge that I could overcome and I could, I could push through. So that was one part of it. Um, Hmm, You know, the the other part is just, um, you know, spirituality, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, so I had a sense that bad things happen to good people and it doesn't mean that you're abandoned and your life is meaningless. And so I, you know, also held on to that. Um, there was actually a, a, a riddle in the Old Testament, um, Samson's riddle. He was like a strong man in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a whole long story behind it. People can read up on it. But he basically gave a riddle because he was wandering through the woods and this lion came and tried to eat him and he killed the lion. And then when he came back like a week later when he was traveling in the carcass of the lion, 
there was a beehive and there was honey in there and he and he was starving because he was out in the wilderness and he was able to eat this honey out of this lion's carcass that he had killed and so there was this riddle where he presented to his enemies where he said out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet uh, also could be just translated as out of the destroyer came something sweet um and so that i read that just randomly when i was laying in the hospital and that riddle um, really spoke to me and that here was a lion that came to to destroy me in a way this injury that i had that i had had happened to me and uh, instead i was gonna i was gonna find something sweet out of it i was gonna find something to eat i was gonna find nourishment out of this tragedy that had happened to me yeah, i wasn't gonna amazing. let it wasn't gonna let it beat me so i'd say those two things really helped my mindset to shift pretty quickly you know i was in the hospital for two and a half months or so um, with you know several uh, serious injuries and mm-hmm. and just trying to get through all the therapy and and try to figure out how to pay for everything because I didn't have any insurance and um, oh my god so, so there's all, kinds, all of that yeah oh my god so thank God for my mom because she's she literally like camped out at the financial aid office every morning for like two months like begging them to do something you know because. I was too old to be a dependent and I, you know, I didn't have any insurance of my own. So anyways, that's part of it. But, um, yeah, so same thing, you know, I think I heard you talk about your friend Mia and how she had gone through. Yeah. I can't believe you heard that of all the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I did hear that. That's so weird that that's really, really (laughs) weird, Josh. (laughs) So yeah, it was the same kind of thing where I had that mental shift, you know, towards the end of my stay in the hospital where I was just like, this is a challenge and I'm not going to, bow down to it you know i'm not gonna let it beat me and uh i'm just gonna change my brain you know i just figured it out you know and also i think i had been a writer i'd always written never been published or anything but i'd always written stories and always considered myself a writer even at that age and so i understood that stories you know take dramatic you know they have dramatic shifts and there's plot turns and things happen to characters and so i i thought of myself as in a story my life is a story and so this was just a change in the plot you know this is a change in the situation and now as the character in that story you know how was i gonna roll with that and what was i gonna do next and you know wasn't gonna just lay around and be depressed because that's a boring story so uh, there was also that aspect of my imagination kicked in (laughs) It's, I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm like speechless because every single sentence is a mic drop. It's just like, it's so epic. We read books, we watch movies, we listen to other people tell their life stories and we always hear, there's always plot twists, but for our own lives, things happen and we just, there's such a resistance. And for mm-hmm. you, there was like a, uh, such a maturity around anticipating that or knowing that that's part of it. There's so much wisdom there. And there's another part of your story, which I was watching in this short documentary, um, which I'll link to in the show notes because it's so great. Um, and it, it says that, you know, after, and you alluded to it a little bit, you know, they were talking in the documentary, but after all of this, which is already a huge, it's like, you know, climbing a mountain, the fact that you got through that, then, you know, you came out to LA and you were struggling, like, was it true that you were living on welfare? Like you were using food stamps? Is this true? Yeah. Yeah. For years, I, I did that. Even before I came to LA, when I, I was living in Hawaii, that's which is where I was at when I got injured. And yeah, I was living on, on uh, food stamps and uh, EBT card, I guess is what it was called. And, um, you know, I had like a set 
little bit of money that the state would send me each month. I think it was like $800 and that's what I had to live on. And I, you know, I tried getting jobs and I, and I would go on interviews in Hawaii and as well as LA and I couldn't get anybody to sort of take me seriously. And I don't know if it was because of the disability or maybe it was just because every job I applied for, I, I had no experience, but they all just seemed like something I could do. So I would just go in and be like, yes, no sweat. I can figure this out. And no one really took that seriously. You know, they, why should they? So, um, I, you know, cause I had nothing to, I had done nothing in my life to, to prove to anyone that I could do anything, but um, I don't know. See, that's the, that's the weirdest <laughs> sentence I've ever heard because if I met a person who got up in the morning, put their shoes on, had a smile on their face and had been through what you'd been through, I would think this person can do anything. But but that's okay. The, the fact that those people didn't get it, that's everybody else's gain because you went on to be creative. And so how did it start? Well, I back in 99, I guess, right, right around when eBay got started, I think, or 98. Yeah. And um, my grandmother, um, I was, you know, I was just trying to get by. I didn't have much, like I said, I was living off of the government basically. And I don't want to make it sound like I was destitute because I did have family and my family was successful and they had a construction business. And so they didn't give me any money, but I had that support network in terms mm-hmm. of, I knew that if the bottom dropped out further, they were going to be there for yeah. me. And they didn't, they didn't hold my hand. I mean, I didn't expect them to, I, you know, and I actually had the chance when I got injured. I mean, I had a, a lawyer come to me and, and he was like, we can win a few million dollars from this car accident that you had. And we would, you know, we could sue the state, we could sue the, you know, the people who live in that neighborhood, we'd sue the person who hit you, all these things. And, and I had a real struggle with that, because I just felt like that was the easy way out of my circumstances. And I, and I opted not to do that. So I, I chose the struggle wow. <laughs> over, over the easy way, you know, I could have been sitting pretty. And there there's definitely times over the years where I'm like, you idiot, you should have Why didn't taken, you the, do that? taken the money. Why didn't you do that? Um, I didn't feel like it was just i didn't feel like the person who hit me i didn't feel like they had done it intentionally you know they were speeding but i also ran a stop sign so we were both at fault you know i didn't feel like the state was at fault i didn't feel like the people who designed the street were at fault and the lawyer wanted to sue everyone so we could get all this money from every source possible and i just didn't feel like there was any justice in in that i felt like that was just a money grab uh, and manipulating the system oh my god and, uh, josh there are people, people who've had no injuries who are like, let's do that. And here you are right. with like a really life altering situation. And you're like, you know, I had my own responsibility in that. Right. I, I don't know anyone like you. I'm amazed. I, I like, <laughs> I, I don't get it, but like, okay. Well, thank you. I mean, I don't, this is not to disparage or judge anyone else who has been in a different, completely different situation and has taken that route. I mean, I have no, no judgment of anyone. Um, it's just for me personally, I just didn't feel right about it. And, uh, <laughs> You know, again, going back to, you know, spiritually, I felt like it was almost like, you know, God saying, like, if you don't take this easy way and you choose the struggle, I'm going to bless you anyway. Mm. And you're going to, you're going to get there anyway, um, through your own efforts. And it's going to be so much more satisfying and rewarding than, than just taking from others, basically. Everyone should write those in their heart, everything that you're saying. It's just unbelievably beautiful and so wise. All right, we're going to get back to Josh in just one second because he has amazing things to share just right after this quick break. 
Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start your side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare is going to keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. I'm such a huge fan of Skillshare. You know, I always say that we're a work in progress, so we should be looking to better ourselves and raise our capabilities, and that includes learning new skills to add to your toolkit. I've taken their classes on painting, social media, productivity, and there's still so many more I want to try. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. You guys, there's classes on things like branding, illustration, blogging, you name it, they have it. Whatever you're looking to do in your business, there's probably ways for you right now to go on there and in like 30 minutes, learn something that's going to empower you to take some action in your side hustle. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. So you start selling books on eBay. Right. So yeah, my grandmother, you know, she gave me some books, helped me out with a bunch of books and uh, and I threw them online and, and sold them all immediately. I mean, this was in the early days of online book selling so you could sell anything because the supply wasn't there Mm -hmm. but the demand was so i figured out real quick i was like wow i can just go to yard sales and thrift stores and find books and sell them and you didn't really have to know anything that much you know you just just find some books that seem like good books and and you could sell almost anything like i said so i got into it that way just kind of just to get some extra money on top of my welfare checks and just to have some spending money basically to buy more books to read and yeah. buy CDs and, you know, just whatever, uh, have a little fun, go out to movies and that kind of thing. I wasn't trying to make a living at it, but that just sort of gradually became my thing over the years. Um, you know, once I started making more money than you were allowed to and still keep your welfare uh, checks, then I got off of that. And and then there was a little bit more pressure where like, well, I've got to make this work now because I've got, this is all I've got to live on. Yeah. But I just got better and better at it over the years. And when I moved to LA, it was even easier because there were more sources of finding things or all the thrift stores and auctions and yard sales out there. Um, and so it just became a fun treasure hunt that I would go on every day, <laughs> just driving around LA and uh, <laughs> I would volunteer at various places that got a lot of books and, you know, and I sold things other than books too. I would sell uh, furniture, I'd sell cars, I'd sell clothes, music, uh, recording gear, just anybody that I met usually wanted to sell something. And so I would help them sell it. You know? mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so I did a lot of that and, you know, but gradually, I, you know, I wanted to focus on one thing and just get really good at something. So I've started focusing on books. Um, it just was more fun and more appealing. And I like the organization of, you know, just having a bunch of books on shelves in my apartment instead of piles of random things everywhere and then what was the next milestone like when did you make a really how many years in were you like oh wow now i'm actually making like a really good living from this i mean the milestones i mean i guess they came from me hustling and being out there but it was almost like they were dropped in my lap like for instance when i was out there going you know all day long i'm like i'm out going to thrift stores just scrounging trying to find what i can find and volunteering and then all of a sudden like one thrift store that I was helping out, they were like, Hey, there's a, there's this donation that these people want to give us. And it's like too big for us to handle. We can't possibly deal with it. So do you want to just take it yourself? And so I was like, oh, okay, sure. So I go to this house and it's an entire house just like packed 
floor to ceiling full and a huge garage also packed floor to ceiling full with just brand new philosophy books. <laughs> um, so it was literally like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of books. <laughs> it just like fell God, into my lap. That's amazing. Uh, just because I was in the right place at the right time and I was working hard and I was able to meet a need that no one else was there to meet. They needed these books out of the house and there was no one that could take them. Well, it's kind of like you said, like, you know, you had that incredible insight and I don't, right. I don't know, you said before, you said, I thought maybe if I took the hard way that God would tell me, mm. I'm going to bless you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a spiritual technology to things. I think mm-hmm. that things have come to you in a way because where you're showing up in other areas, I think it, or like it's, it kind of is planting that, that seed, that fertile ground, that things sort of come around. It comes back mm-hmm. around. I do see that. I agree with you. Um, so what happened next? Like, when did you create the first store? So, yeah, I just over the years, just kind of grew that online business and hired a few people to help me out here and there. And, uh, and it was getting kind of big. I was just running it out of my loft in downtown LA and, uh, I got married and, uh, we were trying to figure out how to grow the business. And this guy named Brady Westwater, um, who's an amazing character in his own right, but he, he found me in, uh, and said, hey, you've got to open up a bookstore. I heard about you. I've been looking for you for months. Wow. And, and uh, you've got to do this. You know, you're you're the one. And I fought against that because I just, I liked my own routine. I didn't want to have to go to work every day. I didn't want to have to have a, I didn't want to deal with customers really. Not that I don't like customers, but I just didn't want to have to go to yeah. be, be in a store all day, every day. Yeah. I liked me and my freedom. So I fought against it, you know, and we had a couple false starts where we tried to look at some some locations and it didn't work out and it was too stressful. And I, I, I was, I didn't feel ready for it. It, it just mm-hmm. felt like the timing wasn't there and I just didn't feel suited to do that at that time. And so then a few years passed and then, um, another spot opened up just a little spot right across the street from where I was living. Uh, I knew the landlord obviously, and, uh, it was my neighborhood. Where was that so first store? That was in, that was still the same, uh, neighborhood, the old bank district in downtown LA. Mm-hmm. It was just a block over on fourth and spring. Yeah. Um, where Baco restaurant is now. Mm-hmm. And the landlord's like, Hey, we just need you for like a year and a half. Like just, you know, if you just want to try something out, kind of like a pop-up kind of thing. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, I don't, I'm not a huge risk taker. You know, I like to calculate things ahead of time if mm-hmm. I can. <laughs> and so I was like, well, this is fine. This is not a big risk. You know, I can get out. It's not going to, I'm not going to lose my shirt if it doesn't work. Yeah. You know? But that's crazy in a way. Cause like you have to pay rent. You have to make enough right. book sell to pay the rent. I'm sure it's not cheap. Yeah. I mean, it still could have hurt me if it had gone really South. But, but you did it. Yeah, I did it. You know, and I had a huge support. Obviously my dad, he's a contractor. He flew over from Hawaii and he built all the shelves in like three days for me. And uh, we just, you know, packed out this little bookstore with with books that we had in storage, and it did well. Like right away, it was like, all right, we're already making money right away. You know, it was fine. I, you know, it was paying my for my employees. You know, I had like three employees at the time, I think. You know, and I enjoyed it, and it wasn't too much of a drain on my time. I was still free to go out hunting for books all over town, and so yeah, it, it worked well. So a year and a half passed, and then. The lease was up, so we're like, okay, now what do we do? I didn't, you know, didn't make a ton of money, so I was kind of like, well, I could let it go, or I could try to find another spot. And so Brady took me all over downtown, and you know, he knew every single location for rent in all of downtown, mm. and uh, wow. and so he would take me there and just pro bono, just because he believed in 
you know, he believed in downtown LA really is he wanted to see it, it flourish and, and grow. And so he, um, took me all around and we, uh, looked at every spot that was out there and just nothing really worked. Like none of them seemed like the right fit. And so I was like, well, I guess that's it. You know, I, I didn't really want to go outside of my neighborhood. I didn't want to go to somewhere I didn't know. I didn't really want to compete with anybody else. I just didn't want to go out there near any other bookstores. And so then, uh, I was like, well, that's it. You know, it's over. And, and Brady's like, well, I mean, would you consider something larger than what we were looking at? And I was like, well, you know, like how much larger are you talking, Brady? And he's, he's like, well, I don't know, like, you know, 10 times larger than what oh you, where you were. And I was like, well, that seems ridiculous, but let's go take a look, you know? And, and so he showed me the space that wasn't advertised and it was just a big empty, you know, bank building, been empty for decades. And as soon as I went in there, it was just so awesome and amazing and I just felt so at home there and oh I my God. I I sat in there you know I've said this many times in interviews but I sat in there for a few hours just by myself just in the in the dark and the quiet just kind of like feeling the space and imagining what it could be and and uh all the possibilities you know not knowing how it, it could possibly happen because I didn't have the money for it for what I imagined it would be but, you know, I, after that, I was like, okay, Brady, you know, I don't know how I could possibly do this, but what can I do? How can I get this space? And, and again, he came through. I mean, he was friends with the landlord and he really spoke highly about me to him. And when I met the landlord, he, you know, he had offers on the table from, from big national chains that were trying to find spaces. And he believed in my vision and he understood my, my limitations at that time. And he really took a chance and and said, I'm going to allow you to grow into this space. You know, I'm going to give you, you know, just the rent that you can actually afford Are here in the kidding? beginning. Oh my God. And you can, you know, pay me as you become more successful and, you know, as your vision sees oh, fruition. Oh my God. So it's like, that was just like a rare gift in and of itself. I mean, who gets that from, from a landlord, especially in LA. And, um, and so that was just amazing. It was, you know, there's just so many pieces like that that kind of, fell into place that crazy were nothing of my doing other than just being in the right place at the right time and and trusting that things were going to work um if i believed and so how many square feet uh, is the space so that originally it was just the ground floor it was ten thousand square feet oh my god just ten thousand square feet yeah only so prior than that was a thousand a thousand square feet was my first store this this was ten thousand and then within a year and a half, we also expanded upstairs another 6,000 oh and then God. an art gallery came in. And, oh, my God. And then we expanded next door. So now we're up to about 22,000 square feet. That's insane. Yeah. When did you guys open the last bookstore? Uh, the little one we opened in Christmas of 2009. Mm-hmm. And then the big one opened in the summer of 2011. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And where I'm is it? What's the address? Remember. It's 453 South Spring Street. The first one was 4th and Main. So my husband's dad had a bookstore on 5th and Hill. Oh, yeah? When he was growing up in (laughs) the 70s and early 80s. It was called Pages. And, you know, of course, they lost their bookstore when Crown Books and all these big bookstores Mm -hmm. came in. And here you were Mm -hmm. building out the biggest bookstore you can fathom in downtown, which is still in its like revival stages and Borders mm-hmm. Books and Music is closing, Barnes and Noble right. is closing stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, how yeah. the heck did you do this, Josh? Well, again, it was just having, you know, these amazing people that, that I just would run into that were able to give me these opportunities as well as just really hard work and, 
also just, I think part of it is just not knowing what I was doing. So I didn't know the rules. I didn't know that, you know, you could or couldn't do something. It was just like, Hey, I, I'd like to do this, I'd like to try it. So let's just try it. And, you know, if it fails, it fails, it's fine. You know, I, I had already experienced the biggest failure, you know, someone can experience mm-hmm. in life, the failure of your health, your physical being, absolutely. um, you know, letting you down in a way. Yep. So there were, I didn't really feel like anything else could compare to that. And I, I had experienced a lot of other losses too, you know, like loss of my parents being divorced and, you know, loss of relationship and loss of other, you know, I had tried to, to start a little online webzine years ago that it kind of failed as well. So I, like I had, I had lost things, so I was used to it. So it wasn't really a big deal to me to think of trying something else and it worked it worked if it didn't it didn't it's amazing and what gave you the idea to make it like a museum like it's so beautiful the way it's stylized and the way you well built it. you know I, again i let the space sort of speak to me you know when i sat in there and just just tried to feel the space it uh just what what did it provoke in my imagination is basically what i did and you know and i started thinking of movies i had seen and books i had read or graphic novels i had read and you know i'd always been kind of a fantasy sci-fi comic book kind of guy so you know all that in film you know so you know i was getting all kinds of vibes from you know indiana jones to hellboy to alice in wonderland to you know harry potter like there was all these kind of things that the architecture itself said to me and you know i i realized with bookstores closing with borders closing that i realized a you know i didn't want to just do like a retail business because that was just boring to me. Yeah. I'm not a businessman in my heart. <laughs> it's not what I care about is business. And I realized, B, that books are not just a commodity. <laughs> They're about everything that humanity you know, is about. You know, all of our hopes and fears and dreams and imaginations and beliefs. Yeah, and, you know, everything, true. everything is in books. And so I wanted the space to be about what books were about versus just hmm books themselves versus just the objects you know i kind of wanted to shoot through the target you know instead of at the target kind of thing a zen kind of thing you know where i wanted it to be more than that and i wanted to create an experience that would allow people to feel what they feel when they read that you created a whole world in there like it is its own world yeah yeah and so that that's i think that was a key to our success it's just you know i didn't i didn't just put a borders type store into this beautiful space. You know, I really tried to, to let the space dictate and, and also like the artists that I knew and the things that I was into, I just tried to let that dictate what it was going to look like and feel like. When your store first opened, how did you get people to come? Downtown is not like opening up in, you know, yeah. the middle of like <laughs> Beverly Hills foot traffic area. Right. Like how did you get people to come? Well, you wouldn't think that, but there is, I mean, there's a lot of foot traffic downtown. And so we didn't do any advertising. We didn't even have a sign for the first two years that we were there on the outside of the building. So there was no way to know what was inside. (laughs) So So it was literally, it was literally people walking by the door and looking in and saying, what, what is that? You know, what's going on in there? And just wandering in. Uh, Or people who word of mouth or found us online because, you know, we were online. So that was it. Like we had no other signage. We didn't advertise. I think the only kind of advertising we did was maybe like a a living social coupon or something like that once. So we didn't do any advertising. And I really liked that because it was 
I like the idea of having like a secret location, you know, that was kind of hidden and you couldn't tell from the outside what was inside. Even now you can't, you can't tell what it's like until you go in. And so people would, that was my favorite thing would to sit inside to watch people come in from, from outside in the light, you know, they come in and their, their eyes are adjusting to the different light and the huge tall ceilings and all these books. And it's just like seeing their face oh my God. and the reaction of people's face. That's my favorite thing in the world is just, you know, to this day, just seeing people, you know, have that experience, you know, and that, that was one of the greatest experiences was when my grandparents got to come and visit um, a few years into it. Wow. And I got to see that look on their face as they came in and, and they were able to see what I had I built. But you were successful from the beginning because you said that really early on, you then started to build out other yeah. parts of the space and you grew the square footage. So how did you do it? Yeah. Was it all so, word of mouth? I mean, there must I, be something going on. Exactly. That was it. it was just, <laughs> I think it was just word of mouth and people wandering by. From the first day we opened, we were making 10 times as much money as we had at the other store. It was like the space itself. I don't get it. Was already a- paying, it was already paying for itself. It was just insane to me. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. You know, like we haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that store was half empty. We didn't have enough books to fill the shelves. You know, some people would come in and be like, oh, you guys closing? you going out of business? Because we didn't have any books on the shelves, hardly. <laughs> we were still adding, you know, we were still working on the space. We're still working on the space, to be honest. We're still doing things that should have been done before we ever opened. So if it was all word of mouth and you didn't even have a sign on the front door, then clearly you created a magnetic experience so that every person who walked in there, they had to tell five people about it. What do you think made that experience so powerful? You know, we had Seth Godin on the podcast. He talked about how at the heart of every successful endeavor is radical empathy. You know, really thinking about Mm -hmm. who your customer is and what they want and what they need and what pain they're in and what they are yearning for. Do you think that you were thinking about what people needed and how do you think you created something that became something they had to tell their friends about? Well, empathy is, is something I'm still learning a lot about. I think in a way it was a completely selfish sort of what do i need like what do i what do i want to see um what am i not seeing in the world and what am i not seeing in bookstores in particular and what would be my ideal bookstore what would be my ideal place to hang out and so that's that's where i was working from it and it and it just was a happy accident in a way that that other people were also feeling that same need so for me it was I want everything that I love in one place. And that included books and music, vinyl records, film, DVDs, live music, events, comfortable couches, you know, a place that would look really cool and capture my imagination, a place that I just want to hang out in, and a place that was a a refuge, you know, it was a a place to come and and rest in a way and escape the outside world because I've always found LA, LA has its perks, but I've always found it to be a little oppressive, a little noisy, a little too busy. And so I needed a place personally that I could retreat to. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say our store is a little noisy now because it's so busy, but in the beginning it was not that way. You know, it was quiet and it was, it was very uh, peaceful and a relaxing place to hang out. And uh, it still is, it still is at certain times, you know, you got to play, play your schedule, right? How but, many um, people come through the store uh, like a month or a year? Do you know? I don't know exactly. I mean, I know it's definitely in the hundreds or thousands mm. per day. Thousands per day? 
Yeah, on the weekends for sure. Oh my god. I can't really even go there myself on the weekends anymore because I'm, you know, being in the wheelchair, it's a little hard for me to navigate crowds of wow. people coming through, but yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's like I said, it's become something far beyond myself or what I thought it would be. It's amazing. You're such a rock star. Like on top of everything, like, yeah, we didn't even have a sign in front. Like <laughs> we're going to create something uber successful without doing any marketing whatsoever. And then you did. It's so insane. Like you do the unthinkable. You're like David Copperfield. It's like, it's, I don't know how you're doing it and you're doing it. Okay. Before we start wrapping up, let's say a quick thanks to a couple more sponsors. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. What I love most about the Robinhood app is that it's super easy and gives me the data I need in a super digestible way. It just takes four taps on a smartphone and I can place a trade. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. So you get to trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Even if you're brand new to investing, it's a great tool just to learn how to invest as you're building your portfolio. Robin is actually going to give my listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Just sign up at dreamjob.robinhood.com. That's dreamjob.robinhood.com. It's pretty cool. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Go ahead and check it out. This episode is brought to you by Ring. My husband loves this product so much. We're constantly checking this from our phones, you know, just to make sure things are like secure. We actually had this guy come up to our front door and he stole a package, which was actually a toaster that my husband wanted. And we caught it all on the Ring doorbell. And um, my husband was able to find this guy the next day. He posted it on Craigslist that he was selling the toaster. My husband was able to like go over there and see the same car in the driveway and called the police. And he was like, this is the guy. He's now like trying to sell the same toaster that he stole from our front door. And it was all possible because we caught it all on our Ring doorbell. And Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere, but Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you're going to get alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them if you want to all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. As a listener, you're going to have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now with a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash dreamjob. That's ring.com slash dreamjob. You know, one of the questions we get all the time is people don't feel like they're enough. You know, like, I'm so glad that that worked for so-and-so, but, you know, people have a lot of self-doubt. How do you think that people can overcome that feeling when they're constantly feeding themselves this story that, you know, why bother? You know, they have that imposter syndrome. They feel like a fraud. They're probably not good enough. What would you say to that person? You know, I, I like counterintuitive answers. So part of me wants to, to say nobody's good enough, but so what? What does that have to do with mm. anything? You know, you can still do whatever you want. I mean, it's as far as we know, we've got this one life to live and what do you got to lose? You know, why not give it your all, whatever you think you want to do, you're not going to lose, you know, you're going to learn something. Even if you mm -hmm. fail, it's going to take you somewhere else. You're going to learn something. You're going to, it's going to be a stepping stone to something. It's going to change something in your life. You know, if you just keep doing the same thing, you know, it's that old adage, you know, you're going to get the same result. So, who cares if you're good enough or not good enough? That has nothing to do with it. 
just do it, just try it, just step out, just, you know, and I know that's really hard for people to hear, you know, and I don't want to be, you know, I want to be sympathetic to people who have it harder than me in a way, because I, you know, I didn't, I think it can be just as hard or even harder to leave uh, a job that you might have that's secure. You know, I didn't have anything to leave. You know, I started from the bottom. I had nothing. <laughs> so I didn't have a job, a security blanket to let go of to try this. You know, I just tried it because I didn't have anything else to do. And I thought, why not? And, you know, so in a way, I, you know, I, I definitely empathize with people who are struggling with whether to give up something in order to try something new. Um, You're so I think that's amazing. Its own challenge. You're so amazing. I love how you see it like, oh, I actually had a leg up because I had nothing. I love how you like turn <laughs> that around and you made that like a yeah. resource. I mean, I can relate to that now because, you know, now that the business is successful and it's doing well and I've accomplished most of what I dreamed for it, you know, I am in that boat now where I'm kind of like, well, I have other passions too and I want to do other things. I don't necessarily want to just be a bookstore owner. So how do I let go? You know, how do I step away from what has become my security now? and try something that is, is riskier, you know? So in a way I am kind of in that same boat as people now. And, you know, it's not easy to give up something that, you know, I'm just one person, but I would say, and I'm sure everybody has told you this already. I would say, open up your laptop and just write a messy chapter and write another crappy chapter and just write your, write your (laughs) truth, write your book, because your book is going to be a number one New York Times bestseller. You sharing your life, your story, your perspective—it's it's gold. Everybody needs it, and I think that's the next frontier for you is you having your own best-selling book. So one last thing, um, the biggest thing—you know—one of your biggest lessons to the world is overcoming pain and 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 what you do with that, turning that pain into purpose, turning that darkness into light. What would you say to someone because you've been training that muscle your whole life. You've been training, turning pain into something that's beautiful. What do you say to that person who's like really got very little gas left in the tank? They're running on empty. They feel like giving up. They're overwhelmed with pain. They're overwhelmed with stuff, circumstances, things that they've been through. How do you help that person fight on? Hmm. I can only speak you know, for what has worked for me. And that's, you know, looking to, to the creator, the one that put us in this existence to begin with figuring out, you know, well, what, you know, why, (laughs) what, what does he want from me? Um, what is he, what example has he provided for how to deal with this life that he's, he's inserted me into? Mm -hmm. Um, and then to just, you know, lean on the people that are in your life. Hopefully you have someone, even one person in your life that cares about you in some way, you know, lean on those people and try to figure out how to, how to receive their love and, and then how to love in return. Um, Because, you know, as I'm getting older, I definitely am realizing that relationships are, are the key to Mm -hmm. everything. You can do a lot, I guess, alone in this world, but at the same time, I don't know that you really can do much of anything without other people. Yeah, that's I think we were created to be in relationship, you know, to God and to each other, and and that's really what all of existence is about, you know. And um, if anything's eternal, it's going to be you know God and people. That's the only thing that's gonna that's gonna last beyond death. So 
uh, hopefully. <laughs> and so those are the things that I try to focus on. You know, those are to me, like if something I want to do doesn't involve you know, either of those and it's to me, I just drop it. You know, it's not worth thinking about. It's not worth my time. So I don't know. Um, oh don't my know God, Josh, question, you're so just... amazing. I just, you should be so blessed. You may, may you be blessed like thousands of times for every beautiful word that comes out of your mouth because it's so important what you're saying. What you say is so important and it's so unusual and you're so the real thing. Mm. And I was surprised that you said that, um, the second part at mm. least. Um, both of those things yeah. are beautiful answers. Uh, but the second one is not something that people say very often. And I do think mm. it's so much easier to be a successful entrepreneur than it is to have a healthy marriage. I think um, mm. relationships is where yeah, people really, they meet their shadow side, their demons. It's letting someone love you, like you said it so well, like, and then loving that person in return. Like that is really what this whole journey is about. And that is like the, mm -hmm. that's an art that is really difficult. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear that I'm not successful at that at all. So, you know, I may be successful at my business, but I definitely have a long way to go to be successful in relationships and love and, and marriage. You're an amazing soul. And I know that you're going to be led to so many blessings because you are a blessing. You really, really are. Tell us uh, where people can find you. Well, they can go to lastbookstorela.com. They can find me in the store sometimes if they want to come through. I may be there once in a while. And Awesome. Well, everybody should, is going to, I'm sure if they haven't already, they're going to go to the store. And uh, now that's, now it's even more magical knowing really like what's behind this whole vision and who's behind it. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So what did you guys think? Pretty unbelievable, right? Gosh, I can't believe some of the things that he talked about. That's really, really amazing. Okay, so here are some takeaways. Number one, just because something bad happens in your life, it doesn't mean that it's meaningless. Number two, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Number three, you are the protagonist of your story. Embrace the plot twists along the way. Just don't let your life become a boring story. Number four, the easy way out isn't always the answer. There's more reward and satisfaction in choosing to face the struggle. Number five, just try it out. If it fails, so what? Life goes on. Number six, create more than a product or a service. Create an experience. Number seven, sometimes the best ideas come from your own desires to fill in the gaps. Number eight, life is short, so why not give it your all? You've got nothing to lose. And number nine, lean on people in your life. Be open to receive their love and love them in return. Something I want to start doing, like I said at the beginning, is having these cheat sheets for every one of these Monday episodes. So you can have takeaways in your pocket. Plus, I want to give you some questions as food for thought, and you can share your answers in the Facebook group or in your meetup groups. Or if you wanted to share them with me on Instagram, you can go ahead and find me at kathy.heller. I read all of my DMs. You can find a link to the cheat sheet for this episode in the show notes on Apple or on our website, don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. Also, we'll have a link where you can sign up to join one of these meetup groups. I really, really encourage you to join one of these because as Josh said, being able to lean on other people and have that support is so important in this journey. People are meeting up all over the world now to talk about what they're learning in these episodes and support one another. These are like-minded, creative entrepreneurs who want to build things with their hands and who want to 
figure out how they can really contribute and do their life's work. And I think it's so helpful to talk to people who get it and who've been listening to this show and who understand um, why you want to make what you can make and who are going to support you and help you brainstorm, keep you accountable. So definitely join a meetup group. I think it is the best way to get the most out of next year is to just start to like take some action. Having people around you to keep you sort of talking out these ideas is really one of the best ways to do it. I want to thank every single one of you for listening. If you like this episode, please take a second and share it. If any other episode inspired you or spoke to you, please share that because it could be the thing that might move that person just enough to get started doing what they're put here to do. And that will inspire another person and another. And when that ripple effect keeps going, we might just actually change the world. I'm going to leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you guys on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I chose to run. So many times I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Never saying what I needed to.
Search like a soul 